Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. My name is Jeremy, and if I haven't met you, which I haven't met you yet, I've met many people here before, but if I haven't met you uh, myself, uh, and my wife, Jennifer, who was up here just communicating a few moments ago, encouraging with your giving. Um, that's my beautiful wife. Uh, we've been coming to this church for 17 plus years, which is crazy. We've got four wonderful children, and uh, I've been overseeing the worship and creative arts for uh, several years as well, almost that many years also, which is awesome. Uh, and today, we are in a worship series. Pastor Monica, who is away, as J.D. mentioned, uh, they, she started... She started the message last week, and we wanted to start this new year off um, with a focus on worship specifically. And we know worship is a lifestyle, but beyond that, we wanted to uh, focus a little bit on what does it look like to actually worship as the gathered church together? What does it look like when we gather together and when we, when we take time like to sing songs together? And because... I don't know about you, but for me, I'm not just like, okay, great, I'm singing some nice melodies. Oh, I don't like that melody very much. Oh, I like this beat in this song. Even though those are things that are important to me as a musician, that's not the main focus of what's going on. We are collectively bringing our hearts together, and we're actually offering up our worship, <coughs> excuse me, our worship, our sacrifice, our praise to our great God. And so uh, the hope with this series to is to encourage us more to have a greater understanding of what the Bible says about worship, and then for our hearts to actually grow. The cool thing is that our hearts can grow. They don't stay the same. When you buy, uh, when you buy for example, like a car, it just stays the same unless you do all these modifications to it. I know some people like to do modifications, but the majority of people just like, I buy this car, it gets a little bit worse, and it gets a little bit worse, and then I sort of fix it up, and then it gets really bad, and then I like really fix it up, and then minus 5,000 hits, and it doesn't work. So, <laughs> um, but the cool thing about our hearts is they actually can grow, and they can mature, and they can be strengthened, and that's the, heart, the hope with this series, and so we are, I'm going to prepare you now, we're going to take some time at the end, the worship team's going to come back on, and we're going to take some time to just really be in awe and reverence of who our great God is, and so uh, today my focus is actually talking on the holiness of, holiness of God and coupling that with the fear of the Lord. Now, when you hear the statement, the fear of the Lord, and having fear for God, it's kind of confusing in the Bible sometimes. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of talk about fear. There's, and, and we're going to talk more in depth about it. Um, but there's, there's you, you'll, you'll hear things like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, well, that sounds like a good thing. Seems like it. Okay, I'd like to be wise. Okay, well, but you also say, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. And so, and, and, and there's many different scriptures all throughout the Bible where it's talking about the fear of the Lord. And so I want to actually look at uh, a whole picture of it as much as we can in tw the next 20 minutes before we begin to worship our God again uh, through song. And so um, the, the hope is that we can have a true understanding today of just kind of the differences of fear, a man-made fear and a godly fear. And then secondly, I want to address a little bit just the topic, topic of anxiety as I believe 
that's wrapped up in fear a little bit. I won't spend a long time there, but I do believe uh, that it is a very relevant topic for this day and age. Uh, you hear all sorts about uh, anxieties in people. And then finally, at the end, as I mentioned, I want to just give us a few moments to take a breather with God. And not just like, I'm going to sit back, but to enjoy our God. Our God is meant to be enjoyed. And he is so incredible and so righteous. So, Father, we come to you right now. And uh, I don't pretend um, by any means to be able to ever actually describe and give mental assent to how great you are and how perfect you are and how wonderful you are. God, you are, the depths of your love is endless, God. The depths of your holiness is endless, God. You are perfection in every single way that could be imagined that is pure and beautiful, God. And so as we come to you today, God, would you, would you just show us even just the smallest of glimpse, uh, the smallest glimpse of who you are just a little bit more so we can just be in awe, even more awe, and, and our hearts would grow in more affection towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready for this, church? Let's go. Let's go, says J.D. Well, uh, in his book, Rejoice and Tremble, this is a really great book. It's called Rejoice and Tremble by uh, author Michael Reeves. He talks about two kinds of fear. He talks about sinful fear, and he names the other one right fear. He's an Englishman, so he just says it's right. Uh, sinful fear and right fear. And so I want to take a few moments just to talk about what sinful fear is, and help us get a better understanding of that. And then I want to talk about the, what the Bible says about right fear as well. So sinful fear. This is the fear of God that flows from sin, okay? This is from the broken part of our sinful nature. It's the same fear that James tells us uh, it, that the demons have when they shudder. It, that's, it's the same fear. It's the same fear that Moses wanted to remove from the Israelites at Mount Sinai. It's the same fear that Adam had when he first sinned and wanted to hide from God. Adam sins. He's like, uh-oh. It's that fear that grips. I don't have to explain what that fear is to you. I think we all know what that fear is. That fear of like, I've done something wrong. I want to hide. I want to cover my shame. I want to back away into a corner. I do not want to ignore. Like, that was not right what went on inside my heart or just in my life. It's that kind of, it's that kind of um, that fear. And that God could actually get me. He's going to punish me. He's going to hurt me. Sinful fear actually drives you away from God. And this is a, this is a big thing to understand. This is, this, is, this is a fear that actually pushes you away from God. When, that, when you allow that fear to develop and grow inside of you, you're actually putting yourself at arm's length to God and further and further. You're trying to push him away. You're trying to hide like Adam did in, in the beginning. Um, this is the fear of God that, is, is, that it's at odds with the love of God. It's actually at, at odds with the love of God. Reeves writes here, and I loved what he, what he wrote. He, it says, this is the fear that is rooted in the very heart of sin, dreading, opposing, and retreating from God. This doesn't seem like a, a welcoming, oh, here I, like God's so wonderful. This is like, I'm terrified of God. I don't want to be around him. He's going to crush me. He's going to destroy me. He, he carries on dreading, opposing, and retreating from God. Uh, this fear is the doubt that rationalizes unbelief. It thinks through and says, oh, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think what God's word says is true. No, that can't be true. No, I don't believe it. No. Um, it is the motor for both atheism and idolatry. 
inspiring people to invent alternate, uh, alternate realities in place of the living God. Does that sound like a culture that has been and still is? It's a fear that's so afraid, it's like that could not be true. The goodness of God could not be true. I am that bad and I need to be away from God. I'd be terrified to be near God and what he could do. Well, why are people afraid of God? Why do people believe this fear? Well, it's, it's truly Satan's number one goal. He wants to confuse people. He misrepresents God all the time. He is a liar. He is a liar, and he wants to lie to you all the time. And so he wants to misrepresent God. Now, God is too great and glorious that to, like, Satan could never say enough bad things about God to thwart God. God is perfect in all his ways. Yet, if, if Satan can take truths and just slightly twist them. For example, God is a just God. Yes, he is. And Satan can take that and say, he's a just God. And do you know what you did? You did not behave very well there. And God is full of justice and he wants to crush you. I mean, that sounds kind of intense right now, but that's how he gets you to think. I could never draw near to God because, because I have done these things or I am living this way or I've hurt these people or I'm thinking this way. And then all of a sudden what happens is you're taking these small little steps backwards, just tiny steps backwards, or you might just be running for the hills thinking those lightning bolts are coming. Satan is trying to drive you away from God and misrepresents because God is just. But if you just think, oh, he's a just God and that's it. Oh, he's a holy, perfect God, which is true, and you could never approach him because he's holy and he's perfect and you are broken. You could never approach him. I don't know if you've experienced that. I definitely have in my life at times. And yet, I'm not sure, like, this might be coming across as pretty intense, but it's true as well. So, <laughs> um, so ultimately, um, you know, many people will just run from God, but the exact opposite can happen as well. Sometimes people can have this same mindset and understanding of God, and they just say, I'm going to live, I'm going to try to live like this religious, impressive life, a, a moral, righteous life that is propped up by my own efforts. I'm going to try really hard, and it is going to look good. But inside, you're cold. You're, you're doing it just to avoid the master's whip. And that's not our God. Does that sound our, like our God? Our God isn't a God of, a, of, of just, he's, he's, he is a, a God of justice, but he's not just that God of justice. Yes, he despises and hates sin. And God does not let any sin slide. And don't get me wrong with that. He lets no sin slide at all. But yet he provided a way through Christ. And that's, there's a second half to this equation as well. And so, but ultimately, there are people that can, instead of running away from God, they still run away, but they get very close to God by the appearance of religiousness. And they have a religious spirit and a legal spirit inside of them. That's just, it's all about the rules. It's just all about the morality of like, of just following, following every letter of the law. But yet inside, there's nothing going on. There's vacancy. There's no temperature that has been turned up. There's no love and affection towards God. It's just, it's just a true fear that hopefully if I can just follow these ways and 
figure myself out this way, then maybe I can have a chance with God. It doesn't work. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. So that's the first one. I can talk about that for a while longer, and I do want to move on. Uh, The sinful fear of God. But let's take a look at the right fear of God, which Reeves talks about in his book. This is the fear that the Bible talks about over and over, and that God himself invites us into for our benefit. Now, the Bible talks all about fearing the Lord. And I'm actually going to... It was... actually mentioned in Jeremiah, and I'm going to read this portion of scripture, this is actually talking about the new covenant, ultimately when Christ would come and fulfill the law. And so let's read this together. It says in Jeremiah 32, 38 to 40, it says, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. I like that they say that. It's just, it's not like, not even two ways. It's just, there's just one way. The way is Jesus, okay? It says one way um, that they may fear me forever. But that's not a, oh, I'm terrified of God. That's a, wow, God, you are, there's this awe and reverence to him for their own good and the good of their children after them. It's not for their punishment. It doesn't say for, for, to punish them for their own sins. It says for their own good. That's good news to me. For their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make them an everlasting covenant That's pretty awesome when the faithful God of all says, I will make an everlasting covenant. This covenant never runs out. It can never be thwarted. That I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Does that sound like a God who wants to put terror in us so that we will not leave him? No, it's he's putting in this awe and this reverence of a holy majestic, incredible, most powerful being and incredible God of all, and yet a loving God that draws us in, that welcomes us, that provided a way, as if, if you know the Old Testament at all, if you know your Bible at all, that it's filled of just stories of people just trying to get to God. They're just trying, they get to the edge and they're just like, God is over there and they just can't quite reach him. And there's sacrifice after sacrifice. And there's just, there's just, it's struggle after struggle after struggle. And then, of course, the fulfillment of this scripture happens when Christ comes, lives a perfect life, dies on our behalf, and is raised to life, and then seated in the heavenly realms for us. That is a good, loving, kind God that lets us approach him. We actually can, the Bible talks about us approaching him with boldness. That we can actually do that with confidence. Not pride like I am here and I am the greatest in the world. But like I can stand here with God because he welcomed me in and he made a way for me. And so there's a fear that comes with that. And not a terror. But it's a fear. It's, 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 it's a reverence. It's a bowing of the life. It's a surrender of the life. It's just, God, you are so gracious. You are so good. You are so compassionate. You are the one that fills my life with truth, God. You are the one that fills my life with joy, God. You are the one that has given so much abundance to me that I do not know what to do. Jeremiah says just even a little further in 33, uh, 8 and 9, uh, it, it says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt not some of the guilt, not three quarters of the guilt, all the guilt. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive them of all. Everyone say all. All of the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. That's all of it. And this city shall come to me 
a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do to them. Of all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. That sounds like an incredible God. And the God I've been describing over and over is the God that's the full picture God. Yes, he is just. Yes, there is no sin that can exist in his presence. But yet, he is merciful. He is kind. He is the one that draws us in and says, you are welcome. You are welcome through Christ. You are welcome. Come, surrender your life to me and to my ways. He invites us. And that's an important part as well. It's not just come and like get a, get a, like a happy Jesus card where it's like, okay, I just picked up this card and I can now kind of do whatever I want with my life. No, he's inviting us in. Come to me and live the way I always intended you to live. Trust in me. Trust in my ways. The Bible says his ways are higher than what? Our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And so I know oftentimes I find in my own life when I'm start trying to do things my own way, you're just, you're just hitting a brick wall after a brick wall sometimes. Not always. Sometimes you have great success. But oftentimes I'm just living this way that is just, it's just all based on me. It's, it's like it's the kingdom of Jeremy. It's like, oh, well, no, that's not, that's not, it's like, no, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And I actually surrender my life and lay it at his feet. I bow my life at his feet. He is a holy, just, perfect, awesome, amazing, merciful, gracious God. And so before I invite the team up here, I just want to take a few more moments and uh, just talk about anxiety for, for just, just a, a moment. And anxiety is one of those things that it's, I, I view it as, you know, almost the more attention you focus, and this is, I'm not talking just, I'm not saying like oh, mental health is a hoax and, and don't worry about being anxious and like you're, everybody should just be fine. I'm not saying that, okay? There's a lot of complicated situations out there. But what I am saying is I think the enemy is just sitting, just like how, you know how, how you can keep stoking a fire and you just keep blowing air on it, just like, or if, you, if you've seen with like a black backpack blower and you just go to a fire and just rages, I think the enemy is just putting air on this fire of anxiety over and over and over. And I think we as Christians need to be able to at least stop that and say, well, what is really going on here? And so, um, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at our society right now and it feels like there's so much anxiety. People are anxious. Everyone seems to be anxious everywhere about so many different circumstances. With all the technology and the comfort and the knowledge that we have, you think we'd be further along. Don't you think? You think, be like, well, we know so much now. We have so much, we have so much at our fingertips. Well, in 1927, I don't know if you've heard of Bertrand Russell. He was an atheist, and he says why, he wrote, he wrote a long um, lecture, Why I Am Not a Christian. And this is what he says in here. I'll just breeze through this, but I think it's, it helps us get an understanding of kind of what's going on and the failures of this as well. Religion is based, I think, primarily and mainly upon fear. 
It is partially the terror of the unknown and partially the wish to feel that you have a kind of elder brother who will stand by you in all your troubles and disputes. In this world, we can now begin a little to understand things and a little to master them uh, by the help of science, which has forced its way step by step against the Christian religion, against the churches and against opposition of all the old precepts. Science can help us get uh, get over this craven fear in which mankind has lived for so many generations. And then he carries on here, uh, says, science can teach us, and I think our own hearts can teach us. Whoa. Uh, no longer to look around for imaginary supports, no longer to invent allies in the sky, but rather to look to our own efforts here below to make this world fit a fit place to live in instead of the sort of place that the churches all these centuries have made. So ultimately, he's saying we have science, we've got this knowledge, and we have, this, we have the ability within us to make this world a great place. How is that going right now? <laughs> Dumpster fire. <laughs> it's intense. It's crazy. You know, our culture is riddled with anxiety and fear. But the overwhelming, you know, wealth of knowledge has not decreased our fears. We have the majority of us in our pockets or purses have the ability to find, almost, find out almost anything in just like a moment. It's crazy. So what is the problem? Why is there so much anxiety? Well, I believe it's actually the lack of the fear of the Lord. And when G Jesus actually talks about fear, he actually confronts unbelief. And unbelief is that thing that starts to develop inside of you saying, I don't know if that scripture is true. I don't know if what Jesus said is true. And you start to invent these own, your own ideas. But as Christians, we hold firmly to what the word of God says. And it's, if it says it, it will say it forever and ever and ever. And we trust it and we live by it, even when we don't understand it. And so that's what faith is. That's a portion of what faith is. And so the lack of unbelief is the breeding ground for fear and anxiety. Anxiety just grows best in the soil of unbelief. So why is it important to read your Bible? Why is it important to worship? Why is it important to take time to gather like this? This, is not, this was not an easy Sunday for anybody to get here. It's just not. It's because it means something. It's because you're building your faith inside of you. You're building up the faith, in, and this isn't a self-generated faith. You're, when we gather, we are built up, we are encouraged to say the scriptures are still true. Our God is still the same. And he's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And as we seek him and as we trust him, what is going to happen? He's going to have his way and his will in our hearts and our lives. And so, um, yeah, I think right now I'll invite our worship team. You guys can come up. And what I want to do is... Um, Actually, I'll just conclude this with, I know I didn't talk much on anxiety, but when we have the right fear of the Lord, the proper fear of the Lord, where we have a reverence and a respect and an awe of him, a thankfulness and a gratitude, when we have that inside of us, it causes delight in Christ, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like, you can look past your circumstances, you can say, well, these are hard circumstances, but I actually delight in Christ. He is my portion. When we have that right fear of God, it causes delight in Christ. And it's the only thing that can truly deal with our anxieties 
or our unbelief. It actually begins to just bring ease in those situations that are so difficult, those situations that are so hard. And so as I conclude here, we are going to take some time to worship and we're going to take some time to pray. But I'm actually going to read all of Revelation 4. It's not that long. And this is when John, he actually was taken, like he was given a vision and he was taken, he was brought into the throne room of heaven. A place where nothing exists other than pure beauty and perfection, holiness and awe. There's not one minuscule addition of something that's demented or twisted or something that's selfish in this environment. It's something too hard for us to, I think, like we can imagine it to a degree. Like we can think, oh, that's possible. But yet here we are where just like that, doubts are hitting your own head right now. Anxieties are just like, you get that, that, that knot in the middle of your stomach. It's like, ah. Well, what happens when we worship? When we worship, we begin to actually, all, all the things of, of this earth, they begin to just diminish. It's almost as if you're, you're like in an airplane and it's like, the, I mean, clearly, like this building is a fairly large building. West Edmonton Mall is like a massive building, okay? But when you fly over it from thousands and thousands of feet above, you're not like, wow. You're just like, it's a little micro machine. Look at that little buddy. It's small. And when we begin to just, and this isn't about just trying to simply forget things, but it's, it's about actually using your faith and connecting it to the reality of God seated in heaven right now and saying he is worthy of worship. And I must worship him because I'm created to worship him. I, I, I'm designed to just give, like why do we love going and seeing whether it's a sports team or some performer or something, why do we love to gather as groups of people and see him? We're like, oh wow, that's so amazing. And we cheer and we clap and we get so excited. And I think that is something that's great. But what happens? Glory is going from, we're giving people glory. We're like, man, those people, that band, those sports players, these, this environment, it's so, it's so amazing. And what happens to those performers on stage? They receive the glory. They receive the glory. And what do we see in Hollywood? And what do we see around the world of famous people? Drug addict after drug addict, broken life after broken life because they're trying to receive glory that they were never designed for. It's only for God. God deserves the glory. And when we, we open up our mouths, we give glory to God. So even right now, I just want to invite you to close your eyes. You can even just dim the lights in here for, for, so it's easier to focus. And I'm going to, read, I'm going to read this portion of Scripture, and then we're going to take some moments to actually sing through the song Beauty that we sang through earlier that I believe is just like, it's such a great song to respond with. And so it says this in Revelation 4. It says, the throne of heaven, the throne in heaven. After this, I, which is Paul, or sorry, which is John. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit and beyond. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. 
and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the, th around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, and it, as it were, sorry, a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him uh, whose lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And Father, we just come before you even in this moment. And we say that you are worthy. God, and we want to participate and we want to join with the angels. And with the elders bowing before you, crying, holy are you, God. Worthy are you. And so church, in just a, these next few moments, we're going to begin to sing again. And I just want to invite you. You can stand if you want to. Uh, you can sit. If there's room, you can kneel. You can do, you can do ultimately whatever you you want to do, and uh, we're going to take some time to worship our great God. Let's worship Him together. Behold the one, the radiant, the splendor of every living thing you are the word you are the life you are the face of god of love, this sacrifice, you've seen the face of God.
to you, in adoration to you, Father, the great I am, the great and wonderful God, God, the God that would consider us, God, even in our lowly, broken form, God, when we were just stuck in our own ways, God, you come to us, God, and so we just give our hearts to you, and even in this moment, I just want to invite any person who has not surrendered their life to God and just said, God, it's not my way. I want your way. This is a moment that we can just begin to pray together and a prayer of surrender to God, a prayer of, of, of just giving our lives to God so that our lives would then conform to his ways and his life. And so if that's you today, I just want to invite us all to pray it, but if that's you today, you can pray that. You can put your hand up if you want. You can do what you want. Uh, ultimately, it's the indication of your heart. And so would you just join me in prayer as we worship and as we pray together and we just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I come to you with all of me, all of my brokenness, all of my sin. And I confess that I've just lived my own life. And today, I surrender my life to you. Would you forgive me of all, every bit of sin that I've committed? And God, would you put in me a new heart, a heart that follows after you, a heart that trusts you, and a heart that says yes to you today and for every day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.